you would think I would know how to like hit record on a Zoom finally, but I still have to find it every time. I still I still can't figure out how to get you know every time I call my parents just on a normal cell phone I feel like there's like a service issue where like I can't hear them or they can't hear me it's and I've had a cell phone for like a decade so um I guess some there there's bound to just be lifelong connectivity issues I guess it's just one of those things I'm gonna blame the solar flares or I'm gonna blame Elon Musk um Blaming Elon Musk is always a good decision, good call, considering he's just incompetent at everything he does um, to a startling degree. Um, did you catch the, the XFL championship? Bob I Stoops. watched Bob the very end of it when the DC defenders, is that right? Yeah, they yeah. scored and then tried some three-point conversion and then tried to get an onside kick, which is like a fourth and 27. And right. then lost. But yeah, Bob Stoops won. Not only did Bob Stoops win, Bob Stoops won a championship, and they still had a losing record. I going into that championship really? game. Yeah, I think they were like five and six. Interesting. I didn't see any of it, but um, I I feel like DC has been the best team from what I've seen, like all the whole the whole season. So I was a little surprised that to see Virginia win it. But Bob Stoops, I don't know. It's 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 a little. It seems a little unfair because Bob Stoops is like has had like. 20 years of championship coaching experience right at Oklahoma like he's you know as he guy guy clearly knows what he's doing I mean didn't he just come in he's like come in and coached a few bowl games like yeah yeah he, that's right the last few years and 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 they like I think and they've just like easily won those games so um I guess he has that ability to just roll out of bed and start not everyone can interesting all-time great coach there. Uh, welcome to the Run Pine Option, the college football podcast where two friends talk football while one friend enjoys a choice pint. Joining me today, as usual, is my co-host, Terry Trondard. And today I am having a choice pint, pint from Goat Island Craft Brewing in Coleman, Alabama. It is a blood orange Berliner Weiss. So uh, we're getting back to having a pint while we're doing this. And Terry, I bring this back after spending way too much time in the state of Alabama over the last month. I spent like eight days there out of the month of the beginning of May and late April and Montgomery and Birmingham, way too much time. And what what, what did you come away, your impressions of Alabama? Um, It's an underrated state. State. I mean, Birmingham's a lovely city. I would recommend visiting Birmingham. Had two great cocktail bars, some great food. Montgomery had some great food. Fantastic cocktail bar there. Uh, lots of history. Um, lots of reckoning. And um, a great football team, too, that some people may have heard of. There's a, there's a coach down there that not a lot of people know about. Um, he came by way of Louisiana and uh, somewhere in Florida. I think he was born in one of those states in, in the mountains, like West Virginia or something, but a guy by the name of, uh, I think his name is Rick Saban, something like that. So watch out for him. I'm not playing along with this bit. Just FYI. Uh, you're just going to ignore I, I, I won't. I won't. I won't do it. Um, but you didn't make it to Tuscaloosa, right? Did not make it to Tuscaloosa. So um, maybe that's, that's cool. a future trip. I wanna, that's on my bucket list. I would like to go to an Alabama game. Maybe. But it's good a lot can... of college games, but. If we can get enough listeners, maybe we can get a press pass, and then also maybe 
we can get some ad revenue that can pay for the trip to Tuscaloosa. That is the new goal. That seems unlikely. very high. That's that seems unlikely. Aiming very high, but <laughs> I would that would be fun. That would be very fun, wouldn't it? Um, uh, no, I was just curious because I know Alabama. You know, everyone makes jokes about Alabama. It has this reputation of uh, you know the you know very southern state. But I feel like most people haven't actually been there, including me. Like I have no idea what Alabama is like. So, um, you know. I don't know if it's barren or if it's there's nice cities there or what. So it's um it's a place I think Birmingham is worth a visit. It's worth the civil rights history and learning more. Right. Um and otherwise uh you can leave Alabama. I, I mean I don't know, beaches are nice too. It's it is a fine state. Um much better than Arkansas or Mississippi. We are recording this on May 16th. Remember, you can send us an email, including all of your Alabama love and hate, to runpintoption at gmail.com. And this is a nice transition because we actually had a nice note from an Alabama fan and U of A alum, and that is our good friend Alan Slater, who said, I just listened to the latest episode and I love that you both get it. This was before our draft episode. Uh, college football is about pageantry and chaos. We are long overdue for a March Madness style tournament, and I, for one, will be pumped to see more teams getting in. That is from Alabama fan Alan Slater in reference to our March Madness uh, episode where we discussed the expanded playoffs. So, you know, not all Alabama fans are irrational, Terry. Some of them like to see more competition in college football. Do you, do you know this guy, or is it just someone who wrote in? No, we know. We still have not expanded beyond our uh, <laughs> our group of friends and family. I, didn't, I wasn't sure. Well, I'll, hey, I'll take it. I'll take it. I, I always love to hear listener feedback. So, uh, yeah, glad to hear. Like you said, even even the SEC, some some fans uh, are understand the importance of an expanded playoff. Well, I think all SEC fans understand the importance of an expanded playoff. They just think that it should be expanded to be all SEC teams. Yeah, well, that that's not obviously that doesn't count. It's not. I for one to. am looking forward to the Vanderbilt Mississippi State future. Of course. Oh know, yeah. It's yeah. Such powerhouses there in the in the SEC. Um, anyway, what are we talking about today? We are not talking about the SEC today, Terry. We are talking about a man with a plan. That is Deion Sanders, the new Colorado Buffaloes head coach by way of Jackson State and his master replacement theory plan to completely replace oh, no. Colorado's terrible roster with a roster that he believes will be better than its 1-11 2022 season. Deion Sanders, the lovable, hateable, big personality, um, turned... Uh, former football baseball player turned uh what college football coach for the last five seasons four or five seasons um brought jackson state to national prominence while there and now four or five it's only been a couple seasons i think it's been four i think it's i think he may have been he went 27 and six at jackson state uh so he must have had three seasons there with a 23 and three run over his last two seasons and he was named the Colorado Buffalo's new head coach um, there at the beginning of the offseason, end of last season. And he has really taken advantage of the transfer portal. Isn't that right, Terry? 
Yeah, before we go into this, I, I didn't think you were going to roll with the, the replacement theory joke. I, I just, before we get canceled, I want to clarify that, that we, are, we are not pro-replacement uh, theory here. We are, we are very proud um, coastal elitist liberal uh, liberals who believe in multiculturalism and diversity. Um, sorry, what was your question, though? Well, I'm glad that you clarified that so that we won't get canceled. Although our only rocket to stardom is to be featured on Bots News. Oh, is that that what it was? Right. I forgot about this. Now you want to be canceled so that we can actually like become popular. That's fair. I I forgot about that. Um, Yeah. So so Sanders has come into um, Colorado and made it very clear that he's openly talked about this, that he is planning to basically rehaul the entire roster. Uh, He... You know, he, he has a lot of success with a lot of guys at uh, Jackson State. He wants to bring a lot of those guys with him, which isn't uncommon for, for new coaches, right? I mean, we saw a similar thing with, with Lincoln Riley going, you know, bringing a lot of his five stars, um, even maybe some tampering in that case with Jordan Addison. But, um, you know, he wants to bring his guys. But uh, we're seeing really just a mass exodus um, of players leaving the Colorado program, which, you know, usually when you see that level of, Usually something is up when you see that. Usually when that many people are leaving a program, it's, it's a cause for alarm that something's not working. But in this case, it's intentional. I mean, Deion Sanders is really the higher roster um, from bottom up. And it's um, it's very risky move. It's, I think, somewhat unprecedented in college football. Um, and it's, it's sort of the flip side here of the transfer portal where, you know, you have a lot of people – who have, you know, talked about how there's a lot of entitlement among the players and the fact that they can go wherever they want, won't commit. I mean, this is sort of the opposite of the situation where you have a coach come in and, and essentially say, you know, I'm, I'm built, you know, every coach wants to build a new culture, but not even try to do so uh, with the existing players um, and players that, you know, obviously they're, I don't think they're all, you know, five stars. They weren't very good in the past, but, you know, new coaching does definitely make a difference. So um, both in terms of, you know, I'm not saying one way or another, but ethically, I think it's a new thing. And also just in terms of, um, you know, uh, the, the mechanics of it, the fact that he is taking the strategy, it's a new thing. But, you know, this is Deion Sanders. Like you said, he, whether it was the NFL or as a broadcaster and now as a coach, he's going to do things in his own way and he's not going to second guess himself. And in this case, that means sort of rehauling uh, the entire roster here for his first Power Five job. Yeah, you know, he has been very vocal. He said that he needs some new furniture um, in his new beautiful house, that he can't use the old furniture that was there to make this house beautiful. Um, So not hiding the ball at all at what he's tried to do, Um, you know, and just to put some uh, stat contests around what we're talking about, 53 scholarship players have left the program since he was hired in December. 53. Now, an NCAA football team in Division One FBS can only have 85 scholarship players. So we're talking about 53 out of 85, assuming Colorado's roster was filled at the end of the season, which um, it wouldn't have been because you would have had graduating fifth year or graduating seniors. Um, you know, as of last week, they have 71 scholarship players out of 85. Um, for the most part, they have what I believe is 12 returning scholarship players. They have 20, at least 21 incoming transfers with that number now going up, um, 17 new freshmen and 20 sits walk-ons. Um, so essentially here, a third 
of your roster is going to be rock walk-ons if you're Deion Sanders. It is incredibly risky. This is not something that we've seen done before in part because the transfer rules. He's very much taking advantage of the transfer rules. Um, those are being closed up a little bit, which could cause some future issues. Um, but for the most part, this is something completely new. Uh, and there's a lot of questions. There was an athletic article that really went in depth about the skepticism that is seen throughout the college football coaching community and recruiting community, thinking that this is basically insane, um, that this can't possibly work, that you can bring in 25 new guys that were all, you know, four or five star recruits, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be any good, even if you bring in all 25. And there are questions, you know, Colorado listed a roster at the end of April online um, and not listed are 17 transfers who have uh, verbally committed, according to Deion Sanders. Um, there's been some sketchiness there and questions about tampering and questions about if he's contacted and gotten soft yeses um, during what are essentially supposed to be dead periods. And so, yeah, this has turned into what is probably going to be one of the biggest stories in college football this season is how this works. And and we saw this, let's be clear, we saw this to a lesser degree, um, but to an extreme degree nonetheless with USC and Lincoln Riley last season. Um, and Lincoln Riley very much turned USC around and got them to a prominent bowl game for the first time in years um, and has, you know, the Heisman winner and arguably uh, the most elite quarterback uh, that's returning in college football. So we've seen this work elsewhere. Um, we've seen Deion Sanders is coming in and, and it should be pointed out. He's coming in with a level of talent that is kind of unprecedented uh, for Colorado, even in Colorado's heyday. Um, you know, he was bringing in the number one prospect uh, in Cormani McLean in 2023 class. And this isn't the first time he flipped the 2022 number one prospect, Travis Hunter, to Jackson State when he was there. Um, so there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of Mr. Prime. Um, this is very much going to be a glitzy show. Um, and we're going to see what happens with it this year. But for all the skepticism that exists in the college football world, I also think it's really important to put in context why Colorado chose to do this. Um, as people who have followed college football for a long time know, Colorado was once a good team. Um, they split the 1990 national championship game. But since 1990, uh, they've been, for the most part, an afterthought. And last year, they went 1-11. Their lone win was against Cal in overtime. Aside from the COVID year, um, 2016 was their last winning season. So we're going on seven seasons now and full seasons that they haven't had. And before that, it was 2005. You have to go back to have a winning season. So they've had three bowl appearances in the last 18 years. Um, and since 2005, they've gone 79 and 134 while losing 10 plus games five times. This team is not good. This is not a football program that is by any means, um, I'm not even going to say I'm under great programs, let alone an elite program. And so why not go out there, hire Deion Sanders, who was the biggest name in coaching in the offseason. And regardless of what he puts out on the field and the talent on paper is better and might be thinner this year, but it is better than what they had last year when they went one and 11. I guarantee you, and this is a take, we don't do hot takes, but I guarantee you that they're going to have a better season than one and 11. So why not do this, especially if you're able to do so, if you're somebody like Deion Sanders. 
Yeah, like you said, he is going to bring. I mean, they've been a they've been a master thought. They have not had many big names at coaching. No one really pays attention to them. They haven't been very good. So this is they went all out with this hire, and um, it's probably going to be in the long term either boom or bust. But it's going to be doing so in the Deion Sanders way, with like you said, a lot of flair and a lot of you know attention and and a lot of kind of uniqueness. Um, along the way and um, yeah I don't I, I just find it you know I think it makes a lot of sense I think it makes I don't think it makes a lot of sense but I think it makes sense in a lot of ways um, I just I find it interesting you know again just going back to my earlier point I, you know I, I as a player as a 17 or 18 year old you know I, I think it's um, you know uh, I don't know how I feel about you know a new coach coming in and basically saying you know get out like right like we don't want any of you you know you're not welcome here we're replacing you um and so like I said there's just been a lot of conversation with the transfer portal about like player entitlement and you know putting a check on what players can do do we go back they already did check it I think with some of the transfer portal rules they've added this past offseason in terms of limiting how many transfers you can have or or you know some of the the um uh limitations as to like what has to happen for you to get an additional transfer guaranteed and and i just i just wonder you know how does that look with the coaches if a coach comes in and, and tells you as a young athlete but you know he he doesn't want you playing there you know uh, what what is the consequence for the coach and should there be something so that's that's basically the you know the main thing I wonder when I look at this, and then obviously there's the football side as well, and you know whether it will succeed. I think not. <laughs> we'll see what happens. I think not having enough scholarship athletes is a problem ultimately that does need to be addressed, whether it will or will not be addressed. I think uh, we have yet to be seen, but you know really I think the question is just the cohesiveness and, and culture, and you could argue that you know he is doing this for the culture to get all his guys in the building, but you know regardless you do need you know it, it's not you're not playing Madden, right? It's not, it's not just like you're going to import players and they're going to just play fine, right? You need uh, veteran leadership in any locker room. Um, you need guys to be on the same page to have a lot of cohesiveness. You know, it can't just be a bunch of individuals. It has to be a team. Um, and, you know, this is a big, you know, again, that's Colorado. I know it's, you know, they're not that big a deal right now, but this is a big leap to go from Jackson State to Colorado and and what he did at Jackson State is he he turned a Brown program that I don't really follow the FCS but to my understanding you know had not seen anything near that kind of success uh recently before Deion Sanders came and um you know we've seen guys go from FCS or group of five to the power five and and some of them have had success and some of them it's, it's looked totally different I mean most recently I remember uh you know just the most recent example was um Again, I always forget his name, but the Boise State coach who just got fired from Auburn. Obviously, there are a million things going on at Auburn, so that's that's a little more complicated. But um, you know, it, it is different at, at this level. So um, uh, it's just a really big giant question mark right now. It's it's an experiment, and like you said, maybe it's something we're going to see more of in the future. But um, you know, it's again, it's just this is how Deion Sanders operates, and like you said, they Colorado really has nothing to lose, so they figured, you know, why not? Why not go all out and and do you know, let Deion Sanders come in and, and do what he does, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, and to your point, too, and what he did for Jackson State, what he did for HBCU football as a whole, I mean, getting number one recruit in the country, obviously his son is the quarterback uh, for Jackson State, now going to be the quarterback for Colorado, but really he made um, HBCU football, Jackson State, um, appointment viewing, uh, 
there were reasons to watch games that you might not have otherwise watched because Deion Sanders is coaching. And it's led to a number of other coaches um, going to other HBCUs, former NFL stars, Eddie George, um, I believe, uh, is now a coach, um, as well as a few others. And so, um, and, and there's a lot of interesting controversy around that, including uh, one of the HBCU coaches, you know, saying that Deion Sanders isn't SWAC, uh, referring to the Southwest Athletic Conference. Um, So it was, but the point of that was, right, Deion Sanders was the story, but he also brought the story and made HBCU football the story. And the same way that undoubtedly, as you pointed out, Colorado looked at him and said, we're going to become the story. And we're talking about Colorado football, and we had no reason to talk about Colorado football otherwise. And so for them, it's a it's a success. Um, I think when we talk about the game, I, one of the things that's interesting that you pointed out, and I, I'm going to point to Lincoln Riley's USC team as a, an example of this, I think, in the shortcomings, is you're right, the cohesiveness is really important. And I think to USC and Cotton Bowl against uh, Tulane. And the fact is that, USC should have won that game. USC fell apart in the fourth quarter and Tulane had a three-year returning returning starter at quarterback. They had depth in running back. They had depth in defense. And you had USC who was undoubtedly on paper the more talented football team, had Caleb Williams as the Heisman winner, um, and they lost the game. And part of that was undoubtedly because of the cohesiveness that Tulane had and the cohesiveness that Lincoln Riley's USC team lacked. Um, And for some coaches, Lincoln Riley in particular, too, I think you can make that argument that he has had that issue um, even before doing something as dramatic as this. But undoubtedly, that was, you know, that's something that you can't necessarily see show up in the quantitative data, but it's there and it impacts the game. So I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's one of the reasons why. You know, if Colorado got to a bowl game this year, that would be a huge success. That would prove the program and the school made the right decision. The athletic department made the right decision. You know, likely the football program is going to be on a better trajectory and better footing. Um, And I think that's doable. But I also don't think, you know, much like USC, I don't think you're going to come out there and compete for a Pac-12 championship game. Um, That's all to say, though, I think what you're talking about in the big story um, and the big question, we like to we like big questions here. That's the point of this podcast is what does this mean for the sport? What does this mean for the student athletes? And look, they lost. The majority of their scholarship athletes, not because they felt like they needed to leave, but because they were told to leave. That's what it came down to. They were told to leave as a 19 to 22 year old that they no longer belonged there. And look, for some of them, it will be a much better situation. Um, But there is a toll that that takes when you see the when you see young people who are highly impressionable um, being treated as interchangeable parts that have stars next to their name or ratings on a video game. Right. and that is, if we, you know, this is going down a long rabbit hole, but that kind of fundamentally cuts against the NCAA's entire ethical argument that they're in it for the interest of the student athletes, right? Because that fundamentally is not in the interest of the student athletes. And yet the entire system has been made so that Deion Sanders can do this. 
And I don't fault him for doing this. And I don't fault Colorado because they're making a smart decision on both of their behalves. Um, but who's that, you know, who's the one that has to end up paying the bill or ends up the short end of the stick here? It's student athletes that have been forced to leave um, Colorado, especially for those that, you know, didn't want to leave. I'm sure that there are some that wanted yeah. to leave and saw the writing on the wall and they're going to end up better off. But ultimately, there are some people here who have had their life trajectories change. Um because of the selfish but the correct decisions on the part of Deion Sanders and Colorado athletics. You know, the big question, the other big question here is, yeah, there are things that have been started to rain in the transfer portal a little bit, um, limiting the number of times that can transfer, like you said. Um, Also, you know, the athletes that come on board uh, through the transfer portal for Colorado, their graduation rates and other things are going to count against Colorado now. And so in in terms of the way scholarships work in future years, as well as APR and all of those things. If you, so reading the athletic article, if you get a bust of a transfer and he's a sophomore, essentially he's going to be on your paper for three years. Um, Whether he graduates or not, however he does, you know, APR wise, he's going to be on your paper for three years, kind of the same way as, you know, salaries counted as the salary cap in in the NFL Mm -hmm. in some ways. So there's a risk there, but Truly, this is what we are seeing emerge throughout college sports. We saw this in college basketball. We saw teams that were put together. We have had one and dones, you know, dating back to 2003, 2004. Um, But what we saw was entire programs be built in one season and you make her out of transfers and you make a run for it and you see what you can do in the NCAA tournament. This is the way that college sports, some coaches have decided to run their programs, basketball, football, and other sports, where it's the... What can I pull together in a free agency market to go with the core components that I have now on my team and make a run for it? And so the program is no longer being built over three to four years, um, but it's being built in real time. And also you're trying to make sure you have some core component parts, but you also know that those student athletes can leave at any time. Um, And so this is very much a reflection. This is one theory of winning that I think has emerged because of the transfer portal and is unlikely to go away, even if it proves to be ultimately unsuccessful, except for the highest um, marquee names like Deion Sanders. It just makes me wonder, you know, like, like I said earlier, what kind of check can you have on that? You know, if you are an 18 to 19 year old that just comes in and, you know, wants to play for Colorado and has been told by Deion Sanders, um, you know, you have to leave. Maybe you, get some sort of compensation for that maybe you can you know get some sort of waiver for for that eligibility i don't know you know but that that doesn't doesn't really sit right with me and of course you know as much as um you know we 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 talk about you know this double standard with players and coaches and much as you hear players criticized for transferring a lot i don't think you're going to hear um a lot of criticism leveled at um Deion Sanders for this it's going to be more to the tune of you know your statement which was you know he's he's playing by the rules of the game which is true that's an accurate statement you know but I, I just think it's we have to think about how we talk about players and how we talk about those who have power versus who don't I mean I remember similarly you know Kirk Herbstreit who I love you know but we know he's he's got a little bit of a blind spot here would you know constantly talk about um, sort of the entitlement of some of the players when it comes to transferring, when it comes to NIL. But then when, 
you know, you have a guy like, you know, Brian Kelly or Lincoln Riley leave their team, it was, it becomes, well, it's a business decision, right? So, um, you know, I think, and there's, there's, those guys are settled for life regardless, right? So I think you have to just keep in mind who, who has the power here or who doesn't. I think it's just interesting too. I mean, for Deion Sanders, if this, if they don't, like you said, it's, it's hard to imagine them going anywhere but up because of where they were last year and because of their history. But um, it's also something that has the potential to, uh, fall apart very quickly if if that cohesiveness isn't there and, and if you don't see those results, right? Because as a college football coach, you are you are trying to build a culture that is sustaining and it's not just about this year, it's about next year and it's about the year after that and, you know, calling these recruits and getting them on board with your program, right? And, and players that, you know, have a lot of options and can kind of go to any school they want. And um, so I'm curious how, what that looks like. I'm curious how... Deion Sanders, just sort of his personality, his culture in general, you know, will work at the college level, you know, and it worked at, you know, an HBCU before, but I think that's, that's different than a power five school once again. So um, I'm going to, you know, the one thing I am going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to push a little bit too, though, is that I do think that this can empower players in a different way, right? Because there is a check on Deion Sanders's culture to the point where, you know, one, um, he is recruiting against 25 other top schools for these transfer recruits that he is dependent on um, in order to build his program year in and year out now. But two, if his culture is not a good one, if his culture is toxic, if his culture is a la Urban Meyer or... You know, doesn't even have to go that far. Brian Harson, I think, is who you were thinking of earlier. Um, I don't even know that his first name is Brian. I just know his last name is Harson um, <laughs> from Auburn. The the check here is that they can leave. They can leave, and he's made it very clear that they anybody is welcome to leave. So I think that I I I ninety nine percent ninety percent agree with your point and take the side here where I think that the. Uh, the student athletes are being are ultimately for the most part being taken advantage of where once again who gets made out the best the coaches with the 10 million dollar salaries the athletics departments with the hundreds of millions of dollar budgets things like that but i do think that there is somewhat of a check and empowerment here that Deion sanders has opened the door to because of his explicit rhetoric that he's used but and and, and i'm also like you said I, i'm very curious to see how, how culture fits. Like I said, I think, you know, coaching at an HBCU school is, 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 you know, a bit different than coaching at a power five school. And, um, you know, there is a lot of, uh, you know, coaches who are, are very in the college level who are very toxic and are very exploitative. Um, you know, look at, look at Tommy Tuberville and last week, his comments, you know, about, uh, how he loves white supremacists and, and military and, and considering that this is a guy who coached black men for for years um and there's a lot of that there's that with urban liar um you know with uh with kirk ferentz you know with um Deion sanders obviously he, he is a black man so he's not going to bring you know that level of uh you know obviously having a powerful white coach you know treat his players the wrong way from a uh, race perspective that's not going to be there but he's also you know um has he's a heavy disciplinarian i think you know he's he's very blunt i think he's very impulsive um you know and so I, i'm curious again to see what that culture looks like and you know like you said there is that check on him as to are the are these players who are 
you know, more talented than, you know, have more options than the ones he had at, at, at Jackson State? Are they going to buy in? Are they going to want to play for him? I think it's it's going to be a very interesting story to watch, especially considering, you know, the level of media attention that's going to be there. And we know there's going to be uh, gamesmanship and all sorts of, you know, things going on, like you said, the sort of hustles he's gotten with coaches before the, the he ain't swack, that sort of thing. I mean, we know that, you know, he's bound to wrestle some ruffle some feathers because that's who he is. So um that's that's definitely I think a story that's going to be worth following both for good and for bad. You know, ultimately here, um, as we start to move to wrap up, yeah, I think that this is and I, I want to hear your thought on this. I think this is a net positive for college football as a whole. Um, And, you know, I think one of the negatives um, that we haven't talked about is, well, at least explicitly, is talking about the way that it relates to culture and the fact that, you know, you're bringing in players that don't necessarily have that cultural identity commitment to the school. Um, And I think that is something that as the transfer portal continues to play out is something that's important to note, especially as it relates to um, our podcast and our theory. But I also think that this is ultimately a net positive because this is an interesting story. It is um, a story focusing on a incredibly successful football player who is also an, a, been an incredibly successful coach thus far in his coaching career, who also is a black man who usually does not get placed in these positions within the sport yeah. that we love. Right. Um, and he has, you know, love him or hate him. He has the personality that is going to attract that limelight and attract that attention. Um, and the story that's going to be told is going to involve the narrative that he is putting out. It's not going to be uh, forced upon him. And that is something that I think is going to be really interesting to see, because I do think if you look at Colorado, getting to a bowl game is a win for them this year. And there are going to be media detractors that say he's failed. And But ultimately, I think that it's going to be spun as a win. And I think that Deion Sanders is going to be seen as a successful coach. I doubt that this is his last stop on his coaching career. Um, but I think it's a, an incredibly good thing for the sport that we love. I think that, again, he is bringing something that ultimately benefits him above everyone else, um, benefits the school, but and to the detriment in terms of the way the structure is set up to the athletes, but also provides a new opportunity for the athletes that we've talked about. Um, so I, I think that this is a really good thing ultimately for the sport. And if, we're looking at it from the conference perspective. This couldn't have come at a better time for the PAC 12. They're in media negotiations. They lost two of their biggest important parts to their media rights. Um, And Colorado, again, was a one in 11 and not even an afterthought last year. And has largely been an afterthought for the better part of almost over three decades now. And now you have something that is a really important media piece because if Deion Sanders understands football very well but more than football he understands how media works and yeah. it's going to be exciting to watch whatever happens he's going to as you said it's going to make some people angry people are going to love him he's going to get star talent it's going to be a really interesting thing to see happen and I just want to point out because I was looking at Colorado's schedule here their first five games are 
just really well set up. They're going to open the season against TCU, who was in the national championship game. They're going to play Nebraska. They're going to play their in-state rivals of Colorado State. And then their first two Pac-12 games are going to be Oregon and USC. So before the end of September, you're going to have five games, all of which I think you can argue are appointment television to watch or at least be able to check in on because you were talking about a team that was in the national championship game. We're talking about rivalry and understanding that cultural identity aspect. And then the two best teams arguably in the Pac-12, including a coach who is also very showy and has tried to do the same thing at USC, arguably with the best quarterback in the country. This is going to be fascinating to watch the month of September for Colorado football. Yeah, I totally agree with you when you said he understands media because I was just thinking that myself. Um, and, and, you know, you have to think that this is going to, there's going to be a lot of excitement around this program. There's going to, you know, the stadium's going to be full, especially when they get that first, you know, um, primetime slot or whatever, you know, you know, national TV slot that they do get. Um, and another, and, and like you said too, the Pac-12, I mean, the Pac-12 and the Big 12 are both reeling after the Pac-12 more so after, you know, the, the most important members of their conferences left. So, you know, they, they absolutely do need this. Um, I think it, again, you know, and we have to reiterate the point that, you know, you talked about cultural identity, the identity of a school is that players commit to coaches, not the school. I mean, this is, I've said that, you know, USC is now essentially like the, the Oklahoma of the West coast, right. With like, you know, what it is, that's what it will be with the NC under. Um, but you brought up an interesting point, you know, I didn't even think about, but, you know, barring, you know, this thing blowing up, you know, Deion Sanders is not going to be here for a long time. He's going to be here for a few years and then he's going to, uh, he's going to get a better job and, and maybe a, you know, a, a big time, like a, a big time power five school, maybe an SEC school, right? Like, or Miami, so, um, right. Once, once he takes, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's probably more likely, but um, so once he takes it to that level, like once that happens, where does that leave Colorado? But also uh, just what does what does that presence look like um, at, at, uh, at, you know, when that happens and, and does that will that work? You know, I think it's I think it's very interesting. But like you said, he doesn't you know, he doesn't shy away from the limelight. It's not going to be um, too much pressure for him. Um, so and, and again, you know, that's not a new thing for, like you said, coaches to come in and, uh, you know, do a quick fix up and then go on to a better job. We, you know, we saw that with um, Scott Frost to go UCF. We saw that at, uh, we saw that uh, everywhere that. um, Arguably you've seen, we've seen it with Colorado and what Mel Tucker did in his one season that didn't even lead to a bowl game. And he turned it into a $10 million contract in Michigan state. Right. Turned turn that Michigan win into the most, into an incredibly undeserving contract. I mean, that's, that's all that was, if, you know, that, um, but, and, but Matt rule, like I was going to say, you know, Matt rule um, did a quick fixer upper at, at, uh, at Baylor. And and where was he before that? I think, was it, was it temple? I think Matt rule, I think Matt rule was a temple um, and, and obviously didn't work out at the NFL. And he's, I think he's at Nebraska now, isn't he? Um, and it's probably going to be, you know, a similar thing there. So, you know, can Deion Sanders get this program to a place where um, they can be competitive? You know, it's there are a lot of questions, but um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely going to be one of the leading storylines to watch in this season and in future seasons. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I think that again for Deion Sanders, it, we've talked a lot about why it was good for Colorado to do this, but for him. 
he probably could have gotten other offers. He probably had other offers um, over the last three, four seasons to to coach at the FBS level. Um, But Colorado is a great example of turning a situation into the best possible place you can be because if he fails, you know, ultimately he took over a one in 11 team. It's not going to be a failure. Um, much like Jackson State, who had not been successful in FCS in the SWAC for decades, he turned them. If he had gone eight and five every season, that would have been a win for Jackson State, um, along with the media attention. And yet he led them to um, a loss, but nonetheless, a championship berth in the HBCU championship game. So similarly for Colorado, an eight and five, three seasons, two, three seasons of eight and five football at Colorado. And Deion Sanders is probably going to become Miami football's uh, Nets head coach. I think that if I had to place money on a bet, I, that's the bet I would make. Right. Um, but he is going to go to a power conference. Um, and by that, I mean, likely an SEC or um, as alma mater school, because that's what's going to happen. And we've seen this happen with other coaches that don't have nearly the media presence um, or the history of being a, you know, a former player that he does like Lane Tiffin. Lane Tiffin's a great example. This is like, if you took Lane Tiffin and then you made him an elite all-star athlete with a personality that 80 to 90% of people like, um, that's what that's Deion what Sanders Deion is. is. And so Colorado is a great place great for him and it's great for Colorado. And it will be great for some of the athletes that ultimately are on the teams, and it will not be great for others. Yeah, he's going to be a future, future failed head coach at Miami because that's what happens to all the, these <laughs> flash hires that Miami goes to. It's just destiny. Um, but it, it's, you know, another point as, as we wrap up here, you know, like you said, it's just one of the themes of our podcast is just kind of change and the inevitability of it. You know, this, this kind of is the extreme. I mean, it not, not in terms of what I'm about to say specifically, but you know, just the, the coach hopping aspect of college football, right. I mean, we've seen it in the past with Lincoln Riley or with Brian Kelly. I mean, we've talked about this and the fact that, you know, you either have to overpay a guy or, or lose him. Right. You know, when you have these, these kind of, you know, solid cultural fits are, are very rare in terms of just the guys that stay at one place, like the Georgia, Alabama, um, you know, obviously Michigan for different reasons, but, um, you know, so, you know, and pulling the reins and, and changing things around a lot, you know, hoping to get a new job, you know, that that's something that, you know, for better or for worse is the direction that, you know, college football is headed in where it's all very transient and it does make it, you know, much less, there's much less, you know, of a solid kind of identity with these schools. There's a lot more sort of like free agency and, um, you know, just sort of is different from year to year, but you know, that's, that's direction it's heading in. And, and I don't, I don't know how you slow that down, you know, at this point, it's sort of just kind of the train has left the station. Well, and I think that's the big point to end on Terry, because that is, I think the big question from all of this, um, as we've talked about before and the changes that are going to happen over the next two, three seasons or so in this new era of college football and the way that it challenges much of what is great about college football. Um, and so I'm sure as usual, this is a conversation that will not be the last time we visit it. Um, but remember you can send us an email by writing to runpintoption at gmail.com. And thank you for taking the time to listen to us in your podcast feed. We will be back with another episode of Run Pint Option very soon.
they paid Mel Tucker because he was he would have left otherwise. I mean that that he that's what he did at every stop he was at for the last twenty years. I mean, this right? is this is what you do is you just keep moving until you get you find the spot that's gonna say no you you stay i mean mel tucker went at a losing season at colorado but they were so bad that michigan state hired him and then he had one season at michigan state and now he's making like the same amount of money as like almost the same amount as nick saban and and, and davo sweeney and it's it's insane james franklin and brian kelly all got like full guaranteed contracts um none of them deserved it i mean we'll see what if brian kelly breaks through at lsu or if last year was you know a a fluke if he wins a championship there then sure you know um but although you know everyone wins a championship at lsu but um yeah mel tucker that was that was you know that was ridiculous because it was a it was a weak schedule and it was and and they they beat michigan like right like they that would be like you know, if if they paid Brian Harson because he beat Alabama that day, right? You know, that like that's happened before. And they almost in did that, if you in remember. that rival. Right. Oh, right, right. Yeah. No, I, I had thought they did. That was my memory, but you're right. It was it was like a last second loss. But like that it, it, right if, like that. Right. That was like that wasn't that was just that rivalry, right? So um yeah, it's it's ridiculous, but whatever. I I, I you know, again I'm I'm biased here, but I I it was 